You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And as you're turning there, uh, I just want to ask you this question. Um, How do you normally relate to rules? Rules that are placed on you. Kids, this is like right up your, like you got plenty of rules, right? And so um, I think there are two ends of a spectrum. It's up on the screen for you. Um, There's on one hand, I'll I'll put this over here, uh, the ultra compliant uh, you're just all about obeying the rules and following the rules, and there, you know, there isn't a rule uh, that, that you don't want to obey. Uh, and then on this extreme, all the way over here, uh, we're going to put the ultra-rebellious. So there's never a rule that you didn't want to break. And, uh, and, and you're just like, don't put, a, don't put that weight on me. Don't put that chain on me. Like, I, I'm just, I'm against, I'm against any authority. Um, you will not hold me down. And... Uh, uh, just so you know a little bit about me, I'm over here. I'm on the ultra-compliant side, right? Like, like I get, uh, yeah, you know, maybe over there, but on the other side of the communion table. And uh, I, they're, they're, uh, I get a knot in my stomach if I even think that I broke the law. And, uh, and I get a knot in my stomach if somebody's not going to approve of, of something that I did. And um, uh, yet, if I'm really, really honest, right, like that might sound really good. But deep down, in my heart of hearts, I kind of resent that. I, I kind of resent that, that there has been a rule placed over me. And I, I don't obey the law because I love our government or something like that. In fact, they honestly kind of frustrate me. And all the different laws, you know, IRS or speed limits or whatever it is, kind of, kind of get in my way sometimes. And, and even though I'm compliant on the outside, I still wish that I didn't have to follow some of the dumb rules. Kids, don't call your parents' rules dumb. <laughs> and, and you rebellious people are like, yeah, yeah, I, I totally get that. Like, I always find a way around the rules. Like, I, I'm just looking for constantly, how do I get out of this rule? Um, which is why the topic that we're going to talk about today is so difficult for us to understand. That God's law is an expression of God's love for his people. God's law is an expression of his love for his people. And we need to learn a better way when it comes to relating to the law of God. It takes us off of that spectrum altogether. The better way is covenant love. Covenant love. And that's the next slide on the screen there. Covenant love. The law of God that we find in the Old Testament was part of his covenant with the nation that he had rescued out of slavery and he is now forming uh, the nation called Israel. And so a lot of people look at this part of the Bible, part of the story of God, and they they look at the Old Testament and they they think of this as a time when God was harsh and ruthless and, and just had it out for his people. And then all of a sudden, after Jesus died on the cross, he became warm and fuzzy, and lovable, and we can just cuddle up near him, and they make this false claim that the Old Testament is all law and wrath, and the New Testament, in contrast, is grace and love, which they define as God having absolutely no expectations on his people, and, and that, that in the Old Testament, um, that, that was salvation by works, and in the New Testament, it's salvation by grace. And those are just not helpful ways to think about the unfolding of the story. In fact, they reveal deep misunderstandings about how the story unfolds and how the character of God, listen, the character of God never changes. The character of God never changes. And so to make sure that we don't fall into those same wrong assumptions and we understand how to talk about the whole story, we need to understand the nature of God as a covenant keeping God. That's what we're talking about today, the story of covenant. And we're in our sermon series called God's Story, My Story, and we're, we're learning to find our place in God's unfolding story of salvation through Jesus Christ. And today, uh, we're finding our place in this story 
This part of the story where God establishes his covenant with a very specific nation, the nation of Israel. Now we have to be very careful with this because we are not Israel. I want to be so clear about that today. The church is not Israel. The church did not replace Israel. God is still keeping his promises to them. Praise the Lord. And so that should make us ask the question then, does this part of the Bible even matter to us? Does this part apply to us at all? Is it it even really for us to read? And the answer is, guess what? Yes, because we're here and we're doing this sermon. Yes, because we are saved by Israel's Messiah. Our Savior King is actually their Savior King. He's the one that God promised to them, and then we get to benefit in with that. And through Him, we get to share in Israel's blessing as Jesus Christ returns to establish His kingdom. But we live under a new covenant that is established on the foundation of the covenant that He made with Israel. And so the story of of this specific covenant with the specific nation of Israel can teach us a whole lot about our story here today. God's purposes and plan for His covenant people have not changed. And listen, this is our heritage. As, As the church, the people of Israel are our heritage. This is our history because this is Jesus Christ's history and we are in Christ. And so this is like, like think about this as your ancestors. Even though you are not from the bloodline of Israel, these are your spiritual ancestors because we are in Christ together. So here's the big idea that we want to pursue today. Draw near to the covenant-keeping God. That's what we're going after, that, that we wouldn't see God as this God of laws who we stay far away from, but that we would draw near to the covenant-keeping God. Now, this word covenant is not a word that we would use very often, right? Like, I'm sure that you didn't, like, use that in the last week. Hey, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Um, the, the most that we would possibly think about it is in, like, a marriage covenant. And even that concept today has kind of lost its meaning because it's not rendered per- permanent like it used to be anymore. Uh, it's not this unfailing contract that, that was so binding. And so uh, let me just define covenant for you. A covenant is simply a binding promise that defines and governs the relationship between two parties. It's a binding promise that defines and governs the relationship between two parties. And last week we talked about God's promise to Abraham. I didn't introduce this word covenant to you, but really that's what God was doing. He was making a covenant with Abraham. And so I put in your notes a timeline of everything that happened between Genesis 12 and Deuteronomy 6. And I had thought about actually walking through that timeline. And then I thought, you know what, they pro- I probably still want them listening to me by the end of the sermon. And so um, I decided that that was just a little too, too much. Um, today we're going to cover a very large portion of the story of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Um, and so if I were to do this again, I probably would split this up a little bit more, but that's kind of where we're at today. And, uh, and so... Um, I'm not going to go through all of that, but the brief part is this. Um, Abraham's descendants grew into a large nation called Israel that was enslaved in Egypt. And God delivered them from Egypt in some dramatic, powerful ways. And he established a covenant with them, a, a binding promise that had defined and governed their relationship They would be His people and He would be their God and they would dwell with Him under a covenant law that we read in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And then it's reiterated again in Deuteronomy. But they kept on breaking that covenant and and not trusting in that covenant. They kept on grumbling and complaining. And so God judged the generation that He delivered out of Egypt. He even judged Moses and he said, you're not entering into the promised land. You're going to have to wait 40 years until this generation dies out for the people of God to be delivered into the promised land. And so in Deuteronomy, we're we're hearing Moses' final speech before he dies 
So that next generation that is now going to inherit the land, they're going in, we're listening in on Moses' final speech to that generation who's going to enter the land under the leadership of Joshua. And in Deuteronomy 6, we're hearing God's heart behind why He gave them the law. Why did He give them the covenant? What's the purpose that this covenant law should serve in their lives? And so, read with me in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Read the whole chapter. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do, what, do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk, to the, talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk in the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of Israel, uh, slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after the other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested Him at Massah. And shall, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes that He commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers, by thrusting out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed us signs and wonders and great, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from here that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. So in this passage, I want us to see six ways to draw near to the covenant-keeping God. Six ways to draw near to the covenant-keeping God. And the first one is this. Revere His commandment. Revere His commandment. Verses 1 and 2, he says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Now at first glance, uh, someone could easily read this and say, you know what, that's, that's work salvation. That, that's work salvation. Israel was saved by works and we're saved by grace. There's a, a, a difference so catastrophic that, that this does, doesn't even mean anything to us. People think that because Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers are filled with the laws for the land of the nation of Israel, 
And there's blessing in keeping those laws and cursing if you don't keep those laws. It looks to them like work salvation. In fact, that's what it looked like to the Israelites of, of Jesus' day. They, they thought that they were saved by their works. But that's not what God is saying here. The law isn't about saved salvation. The law isn't about salvation. The law is about covenant relationship. There's such a big difference there. The law isn't about salvation. The law is about covenant relationship. Remember that God has already delivered them. He's already done the saving from Egypt. He's already called them His people. And notice that He charges them to do these statutes and rules in the land. In other words, there's already an assumption that they're going to be experiencing God's salvation in the time that they obey Him. And so they're not working so that God would save them, but because God has already saved them and they need to know how to relate to Him properly. They must choose to put their faith in the powerful God who worked to save them. They must choose to put their faith in the covenant that He has established and relate to Him in the ways that He has laid out. We call that fearing the Lord. When we know who God is, we fear Him. Or we revere Him. We obey His commandment. God had proven that He's the Creator and the Sustainer of all people. That, that he, His way is best. And therefore, the only appropriate response is to do what He says to do. That's not work salvation. That's just plain wisdom. Like if I truly believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord and His way is best, I obey Him because that's what I believe. That's just putting our faith into action. And God calls us to the same thing even under the New Covenant. Jesus says, if you love Me, you will, you remember, keep My commandments. Keep My commandments. In other words, the expression of our love for Jesus is keeping His commandments. But the beautiful difference between us and Israel is what Jesus says next. He says, and I will ask the, uh, ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. The, the difference between Israel and their, their relating to God through the covenant and us relating to God through the covenant is the new covenant is the Spirit of God is the seal and the guarantee of that new covenant. We have the Holy Spirit helping us, indwelling us, living inside of us to follow Jesus in the way that He has called us to go. Isn't that good news? We obey Him at a heart level, not just merely rituals, because the very Spirit of God has indwelled our heart and actually transforms them. The result of a, a covenant relationship with God based on love is that we revere His commandments. We revere His commandments. And here's the good news. When we revere His commandments, we get to, second, experience His blessing. Experience His blessing. Look at verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, now the way that that's worded, it's meant to remind you of the blessing of the man and the woman in the garden. Do you remember that? Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That, that blessing is repeated a lot in the first five books of the Bible. We call that all first five books of the Bible together, the law. And so he blessed Adam in the garden, and he blessed Noah after the flood, and he blessed Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Understand, all throughout the Bible, God delights to bless those who are in covenant relationship with Him. He loves to do it. Blessing is, is divine favor. It's God sharing His goodness with His creation. And He blesses those who recognize that He is God and there is no other. We, we have to believe this, that, that God loves to bless His people. Some people are so down and think God is just this angry God that, that wants to make their lives miserable and, and wants them to live and sulk about in, in their sin and, and you know, 
put on ashes and sackcloth and mourn all the days of their lives. And listen, there is a place for that, but God loves to bless His people as they turn to Him and repent, and He's given them the beautiful Holy Spirit to do that. His blessing is experienced when we recognize that He is God and we are not. That's why there's blessing in doing or keeping the commandments. For Israel, uh, blessing meant that they could continually occupy the land of promise. A land that provided them with everything good. A land that was meant to be as close as you could possibly get to the Garden of Eden, this side of heaven. This is the same land that we are talking about last Sunday that was promised to Abraham. This is God fulfilling His promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It was a rich, fertile land. And even today, it's some of the most sought-after real estate in the entire world. The story is still unfolding even on this today. So as long as the nation of Israel would continue serving God, they would experience His blessing in the land. We see that at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Moses finishes his speech with these words. You can look up on the screen. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice and holding fast to Him. For He is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Listen, the, the call to live in covenant relationship with God is the call to truly live. Choose life. And generally speaking, uh, during the time of Joshua, this generation that is listening to Moses, uh, they entered the land and they did obey and they did receive blessing. God gives them victory after victory after victory and they settle in there and they they divide the land between the twelve tribes. And then at the the, the end of the book of Joshua, he reminds the people of their choice. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. And they say, yes, 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 we will serve the Lord, absolutely. But in the time of the judges, just one book in the story later, generation after generation did what was right in their own eyes instead of being careful to obey the commandments of the Lord. They would forfeit God's blessing by trying to be like God. By trying to make the rules. By trying to throw off His commandments. His good commandments. And God would send them oppressors and He would get their attention and He would raise up a judge to deliver them. And they would return for a short time, but the process would just repeat in a way worse way than the next time. You see, the fallen sin response is to reject God's eternal blessing in favor of earthly pleasures. That's the sin response. Israel wanted a God they could see. They wanted a God they could feel. They wanted a God they could touch and control. They wanted to do everything that felt right in the moment instead of what God actually wanted them to do. And that should instruct us here today. Because our sin response is to reject God's eternal blessing for earthly pleasures. So often we we push off repentance because our sin feels good in the moment, or we're, we're, it, maybe it doesn't feel good, but we're just like, I'll just get to repenting later because repenting sounds really hard, and, and, and so I'm going to just sit in my sin for a while. When what we're missing out on in turning to Christ is blessing. We are not given the same exact promise. Listen, this, it's not the same exact blessing that, that Israel was promised that we would multiply greatly in a specific land. So listen, do not try to apply this to America. Orange is the new black, but America is not the new Israel. And yet God promises that if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, Israel's perfect Savior King, we get to experience His blessing as He obeyed God's voice perfectly on our behalf. We enter in to the blessings of Israel through Jesus Christ. 
And God has promised that He's going to return. Jesus is going to return as King over the land of Israel. And His rule is going to be marked by peace and wholeness and blessing. And when we come to Him in faith, He calls us out of the kingdoms of this world and makes our primary allegiance the kingdom of His Son. We get to look forward to that blessing of the kingdom. And when we obey His voice and we experience His blessing, it's a little foretaste. It's a little taste of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. You can think of it like when you go to a giant grocery store and they're doing a whole lot more um, tasting and samples, right? And so you, you go by and you, you pick up a, a piece of savory meat and you, you, you like put it in your mouth and you're like, whoa, I'm getting that because it's way better than the stinky piece of meat that's in my cart right now. And so you put your meat away and you, and you, you, you get that new piece of savory meat, but then it, you have to wait for it, right? You have to wait for it and you have to go home and you actually have to prepare it and hopefully you prepare it the same way that the guy did. And, and uh, you're, you're, you're looking forward to what that foretaste was like. Obedience to Jesus and the blessing we receive through His kingdom now is just a little bite of what we're going to experience in His kingdom then. The blessing promised to us as Christians is not an immediate material blessing. It's a kingdom blessing that makes us eager and ready to live under the rule of King Jesus when He takes up the throne in the promised land. Right now we're waiting. We're waiting like exiles. We're waiting for the blessing of the promised land and the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ from the nation of Israel. And just as He promised Israel that they would multiply greatly, the multiplication that He says He's looking for now at this moment is not the physical offspring of Israel, but the spiritual offspring who have faith in Jesus Christ. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. God promised to Abraham a nation through which all the nations would be blessed. The Old Testament focuses a lot on that one nation, and the New Testament focuses on all the nations that are blessed through Abraham so that the nations can share in the blessing of Israel. Is that what you're living for? Let me ask you that. Is that what you are living for? Is that the story that your story is all about? Because that's what God's story is all about. People coming to know Jesus and following Jesus and abiding in Jesus. That, he's all in on that story. Is that why you go to work every day? Is that why you parent your kids? Is that why you interact with your husband or wife? Is that why you interact with your friends? Is that your story? That you would be ready for the kingdom of Christ when He returns. We draw near to the covenant-keeping God through revering His commandments, which leads us to experience His blessings, which will result in the third thing, loving His uniqueness. Love His uniqueness. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is verse 4 and 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So this is the part of the, this passage that is known as the, the great Shema, which means hear, listen, pay attention. It's recited daily uh, by the, the people of Israel, and Jesus cited it as the first and greatest commandment. He said that all other commandments depended upon this one commandment. In other words, if you don't get these words right here, you don't get the covenant that God made with Israel and you don't understand His purposes for covenant relationship with His people. God did not give Israel a law because He was angry with them and He was harsh with them and He wanted to prove how terrible they were. No, He gave them a law because He loved them. He loved them. And they needed to learn how to love Him. They're called to hear, to to listen attentively, to take to heart this truth. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. And the ESV footnote offers a couple of alternate translations for that. The Lord, our God, is one Lord. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. 
The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. And no matter which translation is is appropriate, the emphasis in all of them is is that Israel has a unique relationship with a unique God. They have been called out by none other than Yahweh Himself. The God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who made a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. The God who defeated all of the false deities of Egypt. Even Pharaoh himself. He is the one and only God. And He is their God. He's their God. Oh, praise the name of the Lord, our God. He doesn't want them to just go through the motions of keeping external rituals and rules, just trying to appease Him, just trying to make Him happy. That's what all the foreign nations did. No, no. He wants them to love Him. He wants them to love Him. They're to respond to God's steadfast love toward them with a love of their own that overtakes their whole being. He says, with all of their heart, soul, and might. So commentator John Thompson explains that uh, briefly. He says, the heart is much more than we think of the heart. We think of the heart as our emotions, our, and the brain is then where your mind resides, right? So we think that there's this difference between the heart and the brain. But in Jewish thinking, in Hebrew thought, the heart included our emotions, our mind, and our will, our choices. And so, so you have all of that, emotions, thinking, will, all wrapped up in this idea of heart. And then you have your soul. You have your, your immaterial being that is your source of life. The part of you that makes you more than just like this mashup of chemical reactions. And then you add to that your might. And that's your physical strength. That's your, your body and all of its functions. And, and all of that together pretty much covers all of you, right? Like I can't think of any other part of me. And God's purpose for His covenant with Israel is also His purpose for His covenant with us that we would love God. That we would love God. Not just that we would know about God. Not just that we would go to church and go through some religious motions and and pray a prayer and get baptized and come to church on Sunday mornings and do our devotions every day and like like, like it's some to-do list that we just check off and, and then we're good. I hope to get to explore this more in the new year, but Jesus says that He wants us to abide. That's the word that He uses. Abide in His love. That we would make His love our home. God's purpose for His covenant with Israel is also His purpose for His covenant with us. And so listen, this is what this means. That there is no part of you, no corner of your life, no thought that passes through your mind, no choice that you make, no muscle that you move, no part of you that God does not deserve and demand as an expression of love for Him. No part of you. There's no part of you that is, that God is not worthy to receive. And this again takes us off of that spectrum, spectrum between, between being compliant, all rule following and all that stuff, and rebellious. Both of those relate to rules as merely rules. But God wants us to see His rules as an expression of His love for us and to obey them as an expression of our love to Him. You see it in verse 6 again. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. They shall be governing your thinking, stirring your emotions, conforming your will. He wants His commandments to control our hearts. And when that happens, we are then to pass that on to the next generation. Look at verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Kids, that's talking about you. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house 
and on your gates. And we draw near to the covenant-keeping God by preserving His heritage. That's the fourth point. Preserve His heritage. God didn't just make a promise to Abram, Abraham. He, he made a promise to his offspring. And the covenant that he made with Israel wasn't just for that first generation. It was to be remembered generation after generation after generation. They were to teach God's commandments intentionally. They were to talk about God's commandments in the course of everyday life. They were to, to transcribe. They were to write down God's commandments and put them everywhere. God wanted the coming generations to know Him. And sadly, as we get to the book of Judges, we see a failure to do that, and the result is devastating. Judges 2.7 tells us, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. So all the people that, that went into the land, uh, they, they experienced God. They served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. So now we have the second generation, all these elders that had seen the good work, but they didn't participate in it. They were just kind of kids at the time. And then all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. That means they died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. Guess what? The middle generation failed on the job. They, they were sleeping on the job. They weren't passing that along to their kids. They weren't helping them to experience the, the covenant promises of God and understand the covenant purposes of God. For all of their reciting the Shema, they didn't purpose to teach it to the next generations. And God has said that He's going to preserve His heritage as His people teach and talk and transcribe His Word to the next generation. That is our responsibility. That's our responsibility. As a church, we're here to support that. But the primary responsibility then is on the parents. Kids, your, your parents have a responsibility to teach you God's Word. And he tells us how here. We need to teach it. We need to teach our kids God's Word. So, let me just help you. Have a designated time. Intentional time where you're teaching your kids the Scriptures. Teach them the Gospel. Teach them straight out of the Bible. Set up specific, focused times for that. Go over the fighter verse that we're equipping your family with. Help them process through their day and relate Scripture to that, which leads to the next point, talking. It's not just teaching, it's talking. Talk about God when you're sitting, walking, laying down, and standing around. That's pretty much all the time. So kids, if you get sick of your parents talking about God, they're doing their job. Because they should be talking about God all the time. All the time. There's not one moment of your day that is not an opportunity for the next generation to learn how to love God. You may have heard it said, more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. And that's true to a degree. But let me suggest this. It doesn't have to be one or the other. As they're catching it, teach it. Talk about it. Help them explicitly know why you are doing the things that you're doing. Why you're obeying the Lord in this way. Why are we going to church on a Sunday morning, Mommy? Why, why do we not participate in that sin, Daddy? Why? And then to reinforce all of the teaching and the talking and the transcribing, write it down. Write it down. He, he says, let me find it. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Levi, come here. Come here. So they, the, the Old Testament Jews, they would, they would have this, this uh, actually the, more the modern Hasidic Jews, they would have this box right here, right? And like they, they would put verses in that box, and then they would, um, they would put verses like, you know, on the tassels of their garments and down here. And um, do you think that's what they were talking about? Kids, do you think that's what they were talking about? Did, they want, did God just want a box on your head that has some verses in it? No, no. He wants, he wants uh, your, the Word of God to be in your mind. That's why we do like the fighter verse thing, so that you would know and have it memorized, and it would constantly be in front of you. I, I remember my mom um, would have 
index cards on the mirror when we were teenagers, and it would always be about something that we had, you know, maybe been struggling with or disobeyed in or something like that. And it'd be right on our mirror when we're getting ready in the morning to be right in our face. It, would, it was transcribed all around us, right? Put it on your walls. Write, write it, have a chalkboard where you write scriptures. Write the words down so that they can memorize it and remember it. Our children are a heritage from the Lord. They are His kids, and our job is to help them know Him. So the covenant was to be passed on from generation to generation to preserve the worship of God, but sadly it was forgotten. And I'll just summarize uh, verse 10 and following. He warns them. He says, when you come into the land, and there's all of this stuff that, that is just given to you, just hand it over onto your plate. Don't forget the one who gave it to you. Don't forget the one who delivered you into the land. Don't follow after all of the false gods and think that they were the ones that gave it to you. And so the fifth way that we draw near to the covenant-keeping God is by dedicating His worship. Dedicating His worship. Don't go after the foreign gods. You shall not put your the Lord your God to the test. Keep His commandments. Do what is right and good in the land. Dedicate His worship. A lot of people struggle with the fact that God tells the Israelites in the book of Joshua to devote the foreign nations to destruction. Like, Is, is God this God of genocide? Is He this mean and ruthless and gory God? But it's important to remember that the foreign nations have seen the glory of God in creation. They have everything that they need to know that there is one true God and they aren't it. And yet they have put themselves in the place of creating idols. They have rebelled against God. They're wicked. They've created idols. And, and, and just like Israel doesn't deserve God's grace, they don't deserve God's grace either. And God is showing that He judges sin righteously and they deserve destruction because they've committed anarchy, mutiny against Him. He is a jealous God. He does not share His glory with another because no one else deserves it. And they must be so dedicated to the worship of the one true God that they destroy all false worship. He's the one who saved them. He's the one who called them out who made them holy, who purifies their sins. He's the one who established this covenant. No one else gets that glory. And again, generally speaking, Israel failed here. They drive out most of the nations from the land of Egypt. They destroy most of the false worship, but still not all of it. And by the time of the judges, they start worshiping foreign gods of the nations around them, and they start acting like everyone else because their hearts are sinful. And this is instructive to us. Because our hearts are prone to wander after foreign gods. As the people whom God rescued and purchased out of slavery to sin by his, the blood of His own Son, we, are, we must be devoted in our worship. As God's people, we must be devoted in our worship. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so as you think over your last week or over your last month, have you been devoted to the worship of the one true God? Have you devoted to destruction all of the false worship in your heart? Or only most of it? Israel got away with only most of it and it became their destruction. God establishes His covenant with His people so that they would revere His commandment, experience His blessing, love His uniqueness, preserve His heritage, and devote His worship. And all of that then depends on this one thing. Remember His salvation. Remember His salvation. When your son asks you in a time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, 
We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed us signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. He brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So he's saying there's going to come a day, Israel, when your son asks, what, why do we do all this stuff? Why do we worship God in this way? Why do we obey all these commandments? Why do we act this way? Our kids are pretty prone to ask why, right? What's going on, Dad? Come on, why, why, why? And the faithful Jewish father would answer, because God saved us in an incredible way, son. And he made a covenant with us, and he promised us that we would dwell in this land with him through that covenant. And they had to remember God's salvation from the land of Egypt in order for any of their lifestyle to make sense. In order for any of the way that they lived out their days and played out their story, in order for any of that to make sense, they had to remember their salvation. And so what would you answer if your child or somebody else asked you that question? Why? Why do you go to church every week and sing songs and listen to some guy talk for a really long time? Why do you live different than the rest of the world and make different choices? Why do you give away part of your income to the church? Why do you spend time with people who are in need and telling them about Jesus? And Why? Why, Daddy? Why? Why, Mommy? Why? Why do you think that God would want anything to do with you or that you should go to heaven? And I hope your answer would be something like this. Because I was a slave to sin. Worshipping idols of my own making. Going on with the rest of our evil society. And the Lord in His grace brought me out of that slavery with a mighty hand. I didn't deserve it. But He showed me favor. And he performed signs and wonders. He became a man whose name was Jesus, who who showed us all of the signs and wonders of God. And he lived a perfect life, and he performed incredible miracles. And and as he died on a cross, the, the sun went dark because God was pouring out his wrath on of sin on him. He was the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice in my place, who covered over my sin and took it away. And I know that the Father accepted that sacrifice because on the third day, Jesus rose again from the grave and He appeared to many. He showed His mighty hand over His enemies, Satan, sin, and death. And I believe that He's returning to get again into the land to establish His kingdom. He's Savior and Lord. And His commandments are for my good always that He might preserve my soul and hold me fast. He is my life and my righteousness. That, son, is what all this means. That's the only explanation I can give for my life. That's God's story. And that's my story. God wants us to draw near by remembering His salvation. And one of the ways that He gave us to do that was through the Lord's table. It was a constant reminder of this new covenant that Jesus made with us when He died in our place for our sin, when His body was broken and His blood was shed on our behalf. And we're going to observe the Lord's table as the worship team comes. We'll sing a song. And uh, as as we sing, we're going to come forward and the, the bread is already cut and there's cups for you. And uh, you'll remember the body that was broken 
in your place for your sin, the death that Jesus died, and then the blood of the new covenant, the new way of relationship that you might be able to draw near to God, that you might be able to enter into the most holy place. Paul reminds us, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. God made a covenant with Israel. And Jesus gives us a new covenant in His blood. Let's pray. And then we're going to sing this song. And I want you to remember the new covenant through the elements that He's given us. Father, we thank You for the relationship that You have given us through Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You for Your commandments for they are life and joy. Your way is the best way always because you are God and we are not. So we fear you, Lord. We fear you. We revere your holy name. And we recognize our need for you We recognize that that You have not created us to bless ourselves and to, to grab hold of earthly pleasures, but that You have heavenly pleasures in store. And so thank You for sending Your Son, Jesus Christ, to love us and lay down His life for us as a, a perfect sacrifice for our sins. May we love You in return. May this be the expression of our love for You, this taking of this cup and this bread and remembering Your sacrifice. Thank You, Lord, for the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, even ours. pray this in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.